as hell and I wanna get ill So I go to a place where my homeboys chill Fellas out there trying to make that dollar I pulled up in the 6-4 Impala Alright everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Bored as Hell podcast I'm Adam McDonald with Big Shiny Robot And I'm Andy Wilson, aka Citizen Bot, also a Big Shiny Robot and today we actually have a guest. Only a couple episodes in, and we finally finagled someone to be our first guest. Uh, so I'm very, very excited to introduce Brooke Heim of the Two Feminist Moms podcast. Hello, Brooke. Hello. Um, why don't you tell us where we can find some of your stuff? So I am half of Two Feminist Moms, and our web address is twofeministmoms.com with the number two spelled out T-O-W. You can find us on... Facebook, on Stitcher, and on iTunes under Two Feminist Moms. Cool. So, I mean, the, your podcast, like, the, the subject matters kind of in the title, but uh, aside from that, you know, what are some topics you guys have recently discussed that you, you'd like to share with us? Just quickly about, <laughs> yeah. So, we, we just got done recording an episode last night about body image and um, body love, fat shaming, like, going into the summer, how to be conscious of yourself. We've talked about... Um, how to join together as women, how to, uh, about different movies that have been really feminist based. We've talked about issues as far as like raising girls without gender roles. Um, pretty much anything falls under feminism for us because life should be about equality. So we talk about it all. I want to give a shout out to your guys' episode where you talk about Mad Max Fury Road. Um, actually, I think there are a couple of them where you've talked about Mad Max Fury Road. So, those were really good, and you often delve into pop culture and movies like yeah. that, and I really yeah. like that. So I love your podcast. Yeah, Thanks. so definitely check Epis- them out. Oh, good. Oh, I was just going to say, episode five is the one where we really get into it on Mad Max, if you're interested in that one. But, yeah, we try to stay present. And I'd, I'd also like to say uh, that your co-host, Erica Shaw, is one of the reasons why we have this podcast because I kept telling her I really want to do a movie podcast and she's like so does Adam you guys should just do it <laughs> and I'm like Adam we should do a movie podcast yeah she's pretty awesome yeah, yeah Erica's great uh, Brooke you're awesome uh, obviously we love you guys we love your podcast so all of you should definitely check them out they've got a lot going for them and they've, they've got some really cool episodes so. and we're not just for women we have more male listeners than female so come check us out yeah, so take that, girls. <laughs> so be sure to check out the Two Feminist Moms podcast, and of course, you can find us at boredashellcast.com, facebook.com slash boredashellpodcast, and on Twitter at boredashellcast. So we got two movies this week. Uh, they're both kind of big ones. Mixed reviews are kind of coming through on both, uh, but you two went and saw Magic Mike XXL or XXL or whatever size my shirt is. Uh, so I'm going to let you guys weigh in because work was hell this week and I just I couldn't get around to it. Why don't you guys take off, tell us what it's about, and then let us know if it's worth going to see a bunch of hot guys without the shirts. So I'll introduce this a little bit. If you saw the first movie, which was directed by Steven Soderbergh, uh, Magic Mike was about a group of male strippers in Tampa. They were the kings of Tampa, and this was a movie about their misadventures and centered around Mike, who was one of the kings of Tampa, played by Channing Tatum, and kind of his goings in and out of the business. So this movie starts off, and he gets a phone call. He's been out of the business for about three years, and 
he gets a call that Matthew McConaughey's character from the first movie has died. So he shows up thinking he's going to awake. Uh, surprise, he's actually not dead, but he did take off with, uh, with one of their other performers who they could not get those two to come back for the sequel, obviously. And so the guys are putting together a road trip up to a stripper convention in Myrtle Beach uh, for one last ride. And Mike gets sucked back into it, and it becomes a ridiculous road trip. And there just really isn't much to it other than that. Uh, I found yeah, that's it, it. Yeah. Um, I found it a pale imitation of the original. I actually think there was a lot of artistry in the first movie. Steven Soderbergh directed the hell out of that movie. And you could do a, a graduate-level film class on the Channing Tatum pony scene from the first one. There, there's nothing in this one that, that matches that in terms of joy and fun uh, or artistry. Uh, Brooke, you had even unkinder words to say about it, I know. Well, I will say that I hadn't seen the first one. So going into this movie, like my expectations were very low. And um, I enjoyed it because I didn't expect it to have a plot or any artistry. But I kind of expected more from it. Like there were four dance scenes, I think, total. There's right at the very beginning, there was one, and then there was the gas station, and then the one at the club with Jada Pinkett Smith, and then the very end scene. Did I miss anything? Yeah, no, I think that's it. Wait, so a movie about strippers had four strip scenes. Uh, And the first Hmm. two were about a minute long. And they didn't... Yeah, and and I timed it. I started a timer when I walked in because I'd heard this. Channing Tatum doesn't take his shirt off for the entire first hour of the movie. Yep. So he does a he does a little mini version of <laughs> of dancing to pony like a callback to the first one, but it's him playing with his power tools in his workshop, not And by power tools you mean I mean actual he's actual power tools. Actual oh. power tools. Like he's got Unfortunately. He's got a grinder and he's like actually Oh, of course he does. I, I would so, assume he does. It's like a call <laughs> it's like a callback to a bad 80s music video, but he does yeah, there. I just I don't know who the target audience for this movie was. Brooke, are are you the target I know audience? I who the target audience was. It was every woman who didn't want to think for about two hours. They targeted big girls. They targeted small girls. They targeted every race. They but you had to be willing to not use your brain because there was no plot. There were. Like, the main females in the show were just entitled little rich girls who made the mistake of sleeping with a married man and now felt jaded. Like, that's not me. So, I don't know. But the end scene, like, that's worth paying a dollar at Redbox. (laughs) Yeah, I. but I don't think this is a theater movie. I mean, when, when it comes right down to it, this is... I'm like a four out of a ten... There's a whole subplot of this movie about how it's about finding yourself and finding out what you're good at. And uh, instead of pretending you're a fireman stripper, you're going to do do the thing that really makes you you. Start and, fires? Yeah, but then yeah. the whole conversation takes place while they are on acid. Yeah, well, that's true. But for, <laughs> for a movie that that's supposedly your moral center... This movie doesn't know what it is. It doesn't know what it's doing. And it it's just 
it's just essentially a road movie where every once in a while guys take their shirt off, shirts off and dance. Yeah, they kind of kept trying to make it have a plot and like having the conversation be about something deeper, but they never lead into what they're like the scene with him talking about his girlfriend. They don't give any foreground or any like follow up. Like it's just like these little blips of, oh hey, we're gonna look like we can talk about things, but. There's no plot. They need to stop pretending like they're acting and just get on with the dancing. Yeah. Do you, if you were going to rate this out of 10, would you have a, a rating for it? I would give it a 3 out of 10. Oh, wow. Ooh. Like, so. the end dancing was really good. The girls that I play Bunko with are all going to go see it. And I, like I was telling Andy, I'm just going to have them save my seat and I'll show up for the last 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah, on, on At Midnight, they they were talking about this and the consensus seemed to be that what you should do is, in absence of Channing Tatum taking his shirt off for the first hour, you should instead go into Jurassic World and, and play with yourself while looking at Chris Pratt. So, there you done. Go. Absolutely so, done. I think I think that is a good idea for most people listening to the podcast. Like I said, four out of ten. So the the one positive thing I will I will give uh, the actors at least from this movie was uh, at L.A. Pride a couple weeks ago they had a, a magic mic float and actually had the actors including Matt Bomer and Channing Tatum on the float dancing and gyrating and doing all the fun stuff. So I thought it was kind of cool that they could at least have fun with themselves and. You know, realize they have multiple target audiences, and at least kind of give back to the community for the crappy movie they made. That's kind of the sad I, thing. I feel like these guys are actually fairly talented, and there's just nothing there for them. That's what I was gonna say. I I think that's great that they're doing that. I give them three out of ten because they're dancing and like that is takes a lot of talent. So they did that well. I just think the other seven don't get there because there was no good writing or directing. Yeah, my recommendation is don't go see Magic Mike XXL. Just watch Magic Mike. That was a good movie. Or go to Google Images. So, <laughs> Alright, so Magic Mike was underwhelming and uh, my feeling is our next movie Terminator Genesis might be uh, somewhat split uh, among us. I've not exactly talked to everyone about their thoughts, but uh, Terminator Genesis, it's hard to believe we've actually had the Terminator franchise with us for over 30 years. Uh, from you know now a total of five movies, we had the Sarah, Chroni Sarah Connor Chronicles on TV. So there's been a lot going on, uh, a lot of robots, a lot of Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, and thankfully not much Eddie Furlong. Uh, but yeah, Genesis uh, is the fifth movie in the series. Uh, it's directed by Alan Taylor, who really, the only movie you'd know him from was he directed Thor The Dark World. He's actually done a lot for TV, so uh, HBO especially, Sex and the City, Game of Thrones, The Sopranos. But uh, Terminator Genesis starts off in 2029. Uh, it's on the eve of the humans finally beating Skynet. Uh, John Connor, played by Jason Clark, is sending uh, a team to go blow up the stronghold, the main computer that is Skynet. And as he sends them over there to, I believe, I think it's Denver, if I remember correctly, yeah. uh, he has one final strike team that goes to take over their ultimate weapon. And he is joined by Kyle Reese, who we know is his father, who, unfortunately, he doesn't know that yet. 
uh, who's played by Jai Courtney, who actually is somewhat decent in this movie. Uh, they have to go stop the ultimate weapon, which unfortunately they fail. And we learn the ultimate weapon is a time machine that sends the T-800, a digitally, digitally altered Arnold Schwarzenegger, back to 1984 to kill Sarah Connor and win the war forever. So Kyle Reese gets sent back, and the movie really begins in earnest at the beginning of what we think is the first Terminator. I mean, he goes back in time. We know he's going to find Sarah Connor. She's going to be freaked out, not knowing what's going on. Not quite. Uh, it's never really explained what happens, but somehow back when she was a young girl, uh, another T-800 was sent back to protect her from a T-1000, and so she's grown up with Arnold, who's aging, and they explain why his skin ages as her own personal protector, Terminator, guardian, who she calls Pops. So she actually rescues him. Uh, Kyle Reese is being chased after by a T-1000 played by, and I'm going to ruin his name, Lee Buong Hun, who actually is really cool, really menacing. He is cool. And so they get away and find out that uh, something's happened. The whole timeline's messed up. She's this hardened warrior instead of this scared waitress, which is kind of cool to see her as badass we knew from... Uh, Terminator 2, and she's played by Amelia Clark, who we knew you know, is uh, <clears throat> Daenerys Targaryen from Game of Thrones, a.k.a. Dragon Titties. And so they're going through everything, trying to figure things out. Well, when he was going back in time, Kyle Reese noticed or had flashbacks of these weird fake memories that he, you know, he didn't understand, something about Genesis. And they put together that uh, Judgment Day has now been pushed back. Judgment Day will now take place in 2017, so there's a chance for them all to jump forward in time with a time machine and take down Skynet, which is now known as Genesis, uh, and keep from keep Judgment Day from happening. So they pop the machine, go forward, and you know, whackiness ensues. Uh, Brooke, okay. Go, go ahead. Can yeah. I ask a question real quick? Sure. Yeah. So I've never seen Terminator. So was the idea of Pops being like her caretaker that was totally new to this movie? Yes. Uh, in the original Terminator, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is the bad guy. He goes back to kill her, and so Kyle Reese goes and tries to protect her, and they fall in love, and they have a baby, and her baby is John Connor, who is now the, the savior of mankind. Yeah, okay, so my nephew was trying to kind of fill me in on this stuff as we were watching the movie. He's like, that's his dad, but he doesn't know it, and... <laughs> He goes back, and then he's like, this is from... So I'm watching this movie not having any reference points whatsoever, and I was really entertained. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the explosions and the action, and I felt like the whole thing... Being a science-minded person, I ha took issue with the time travel things that they were trying to just sort of pull over us. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't invested in the characters. I wasn't invested... 30 years in plot like it just didn't matter to me like I just enjoyed it like an action film and it was all make believe to me so I didn't care if there were plot holes it was kind of like somewhere in between Jurassic World <laughs> and Magic Mike like it didn't matter to me what was going on because it entertained me and it kept my interest and the only thing I really took issue with was the last like 10 minutes mm -hmm. yeah I had a I had a problem with this which was the exact opposite, where I I have a lot of love for these movies. In fact, uh, Terminator 2 was the first R-rated movie I ever saw. Yeah, it was mine uh, too, actually. Really? Uh -huh. All right. I went and saw that in the 
in the Provo Drive-In, at the Pioneer Drive-In. We saw it with uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and we stuck around for Terminator 2. That was my first time seeing any of that. I hadn't seen the first Terminator, but, you know, I was hooked, and I'd seen all of the other movies. I'd seen all of the Sarah Connor Chronicles. And so I spent half of the first half of the movie trying to figure out, wait, what? what? Oh, okay. Okay, I get it. I wish they'd just done a Jurassic World and said, oh, those other sequels? Forget about those. The only movies you need to, you need to care about are the first Terminator and Terminator 2. And I would have been like, fine, I get it. But it's like they erased a lot of mythology and uh, things that had happened. Um, and this is a franchise that has tried to reset its own history multiple times. In fact, in both Terminator 3 and Terminator Salvation and the Sarah Connor Chronicles, they all try and reset it a little bit. And it just... This, this seemed like a little much. But that being said, as soon as I figured that out... I really enjoyed the first half of the movie until they jumped forward to 2017. And I won't talk about what happens after that because of major plot spoilers. And this, in fact, was one of the major problems that I had with it, was a major plot spoiler was ruined by the marketing for on this oh, movie. Oh, huge. It was, I mean, horrible. Some of the, the worst marketing I've seen since John Carter. Yeah, so, I mean, it just absolutely ruined what... Now I wish I could have erased that from my memory and gone in and seen this not knowing what I'd known and have that experience happen uh, the first time through. And I think I would have enjoyed myself a little bit more and maybe figured out to how to turn my brain off. I, I had a problem doing that, though, which I didn't have in Jurassic World, uh, because it was like the movie kept trying to cerebrally poke you and be like, hey, here's how we're going to do time travel, and here's how the time travel is going to work, and there's multiple timelines, and of course the only person who's explaining this is Professor Arnold Schwarzenegger, the robot, and it's like, uh, somebody get Doc Brown and his chalkboard in here because I really don't understand what he's trying to explain. You be nice to Pops. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Speaking of which, happy birthday, Back to the Future. It's your 30th birthday today. Yay! Yay! Yay. Um, and, and, and that's, before I kind of get into my thoughts, uh, I do try to go into every movie <clears throat> as blind as possible, with the exception of, like, The Avengers and Star Wars. Of course, I'm going out there watching trailers and having fun and putting on surround sound just to hear it. Uh, but with Terminator, I really had only seen one teaser, and I think they played the newest trailer in front of Mad Max when I saw it last month, or two months ago. And like you said, there's a huge plot point, like something that I would have kept completely under wraps. It's almost like, you know, finding out what Rosebud is. Yep. Citizen Kane. Uh, it's, it's, a huge, it's a huge reveal, and the scene would have been so much more powerful and impactful had that not... had that, I'd not known what was going to happen. Uh, but I, I actually don't have any problem with with their going back in time and, and hitting the reset button and pretty much retconning the history because uh, I was a huge fan of it when Brian Singer did it with Days of Future Past because it kind of wiped out some really crappy, crappy movies. And even though I've always had a soft spot in my heart for the Terminator series, three and four were definite weak points. Certainly. And, and the fact that they were able to kind of go back and change things and, and 
tell their own story without any baggage. I guess that's kind of my point, was they were free to do whatever they wanted because they didn't have to follow the rules. They reset the rules. And and that's the part that I really liked. I love when Amelia Clark shows up and says, come with me if you want to live. Soldier. And, <laughs> yeah, and turns that completely on its head from the first movie. I love that. And uh, the, the great thing that I love about the first two Terminator movies is how relentless and single-minded these machines are. And they're coming after you, and they won't stop. And no matter what they do, they can't stop this thing. And it's just a force of nature. And they tried to do that a lot in the Sarah Connor Chronicles as well, although there, not only were they dealing with actual Terminators, but their enemy was time and the relentlessness of time and that there was this apocalypse and they were trying to stop it, but could they really stop it? It's like they keep trying to stop Judgment Day and they just keep kicking the can down the road. And so there's this this feeling of hopelessness that this is their fate, but they've got to keep fighting. And I missed that in this movie. I feel like it was as cold and lifeless and machine-like as a Terminator itself. And it just kind of relentlessly trudged on. And there, yeah, there were some really cool explosions and things like that, but I missed that, that real heart. And my biggest problem was the very end, where I felt like they set it up to just have, pump out a bunch more sequels. And it's like, oh, now we've got a big happy family and we're going to move on. And it's like, no, that this whole series is supposed to be very bleak and there's supposed to be tragedy even in the heroism. And I didn't, I didn't get any of that. But if you look at the way this movie ended based off the original ending for Terminator 2 Judgment Day, which if you have the DVD, one of them, you actually can type in Judgment Day code and see the, the original ending that James Cameron liked, who, uh, by the way, says this is his best, the best Terminator aside from the ones he made. So yeah. <laughs> he, he's very much in favor of it. That's true, but that's not a high bar to set. Anyway, go ahead. Well, I was going to just say that that is where I took issue with the movie, is they sort of jump over some of the possibilities time-wise, but then like I was left at the end thinking okay, they just made this able to make more money, That's kind of seems like their purpose, is to make more money but I didn't leave feeling like I was in love with any of those characters like I just didn't care what happened to any of them, I was kind of annoyed with a couple of the plot things, but I was just like, that was fun, I don't really care about what happens to Sarah Connors, I don't really care what happens to Pops or Kyle Reese, like, that was fun, but I don't know that I would continue to go see more unless I was given tickets again. Yeah, Which was I, sad. Like, I felt like I should have... I enjoyed the movie, I was entertained thoroughly, but I didn't care. And I really think, you know, one day, you know, we should sit down and maybe take you through the first four movies and then let you kind of watch the Sarah Connor Chronicles on your own, uh, just to kind of see the history they, they overwrote. Yeah, I, I would love that. Because, in my opinion, Terminator 2 is, is one of the finest action films of all time. Yeah. Uh, you know, Cameron, you know, you can say what you want about Avatar, Titanic, but, you know, he's proven his chops with, like, Aliens and Terminator 2. So, and even Terminator 1. He knows his action movies, and he knows what to do with them. And, you know, you, you mentioned before, you know, with time travel and plot holes, and I'm a huge fan of time travel. Like, just me personally in life, I'm a huge science nerd, and I love quantum mechanics and quantum physics, and 
things that make your hair stand on end because it boggles your mind. So I love time travel movies, and you know, even the best of them have have are going to have plot holes. That's just the nature of talking about time travel. Like Looper is one of my favorite movies of all time, and one of it was my favorite movie the year it came out. And even that has some plot holes that you can fill in if you spend an hour talking about it, and you know, with a chalkboard. So I, I didn't. I didn't mind the fact that there were some plot holes because time travel is going to have that. Uh, I love the throwbacks, you know, they're to one, two, three, four, and the Sarah Connor Chronicles. I mean, there's little bits and pieces thrown in that fans of the series will just absolutely eat up and love. Uh, I, you know, we can complain about the the mid credit scene. I think it could have been stronger. I mean, yes, it definitely set up sequels. Uh, Jurassic World did the same thing, but made a part of the movie, so that was a, a smart move on their end. Uh, I would have. There's a couple questions I would have loved to know what happened. I mean, who sent Pops back? You know, where did he come from? I was waiting the whole movie to find out. And even uh, my <clears throat> exactly like my good buddy Brooks, who was sitting next to me, like towards the end of the movie, we leaned over. I'm like, dude, what's gonna? You know, where's who's explaining this? And we were like, fingers crossed for the mid credit scene, and it didn't happen. So possibly a sequel will do that. Uh, I had a lot of fun with it as a Terminator fan. I think it hit on all the notes for me. Uh, obviously, I'm in the minority. If you look at Rotten Tomatoes, it's getting dismal reviews. Uh, but for me, I, I loved it. I'd give it an 8 out of 10. Um, I'm, I liked it, but obviously I did a lot of complaining about it. I think, I personally think that Matt Smith, the 11th Doctor, is he the 11th Doctor? Uh, yes, I which, so. Yeah, whichever Doctor he was of Doctor Who sent Pops back. Uh, I would have liked to have seen more of Matt Smith. I think they set up a sequel where we're probably going to see more of Matt Smith, that would be kind of cool because I think he was underutilized. Oh, and they criminally underused J.K. Simmons. Oh, yes. Criminally. He's, the, he's one of the best parts of the movie, and he gets two minutes of screen time. And I just, every moment he's there, I just wanted to, I was eating it up. It was amazing. Exactly. And there's a reason he won that Oscar. And this, this just was, yeah, uh, it was really too bad. And the things they could have explored... I wish they would have done more with Amelia Clark uh, and Sarah Connor and explored the whole her whole reluctance to be a hero and to fall in love with Kyle Reese. And she's like, "This is my fate. I've got to fall in love with this guy and stup him, and then he's gonna die." Like that's terrible, and she she feels awful about that. I wish they would have done something more with that and the the tragedy of that, I felt and that they just same didn't. Way. Like she was such a strong character from like the first few minutes and then they just didn't go further with it so hopefully they will in prequels or sequels but I would like not having seen it before I give it a 6 out of 10 I enjoyed it and entertained me and you know we'll see where it goes and that's exactly where I was I I actually said 6.5 out of 10 because I I have too much love for Terminators (laughs) alright so again (laughs) kind of you know a a step up from Magic Mike you know where we've we've done a little bit better Uh, but Speaking of Magic Mike, for our, our recommendation this week, uh, obviously a lot of people are going to go see Magic Mike for what we learned was the five seconds of shirtless guys. So for, for so a lot of people, it's, it's more of a guilty pleasure, something that you're not going to go for, for the because it's a good movie, but because it's fun. So we want to talk about three of our favorite guilty pleasure movies, or one each. Uh, and the rule was it doesn't have to be a bad movie. It could be a really good movie, but maybe you just... You like it for an ulterior reason, or maybe it's a piece of crap, and you just you can't help watching it. Um, Brooke, what was uh, I had not heard of your movie, and maybe I'm a bad film critic, but uh, what was yours? No, my movie is Blue Crush. It's from 
like the 2000s. It's a surfer movie about these two girls who decide. It's it's basically Magic Mike for surfer girls. Like oh, I remember that now. Yes. Girls yes. Go surfing and play in the ocean and men on their surfboards and it's a 100% like many adrenaline rush total like guilty pleasure awesome uh, Andy what do you got for us so I had a hard time coming to just one um, if if there were in my mind a female version of Magic Mike uh, it would be a movie that my wife does not allow me to own which is Bring It On uh, <laughs> what because, why not uh, <laughs> I love that <laughs> because Eli- so fun. Because Eliza Dushku in a cheerleading outfit is just a bridge too far. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm not allowed. I mean, I'm, it's kind of like step up, but whatever. Yeah. Anyway, uh, but um, my actual guilty pleasure movie that I settled on uh, was Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. This yes. is... It's a dumb movie uh, based on a dumb series of movies. I mean, Dogma and Mallrats and Clerks and Chasing Amy, there's some really good stuff in there and I have a lot of love for those, but the idea that essentially we're going to take the the Rosengrantz and Guildenstern of this series, Jay and Silent Bob, and we're going to make the Muppet movie in reverse. Uh, instead of going to Hollywood to try and get famous and make a movie about themselves, they're going to Hollywood to try and stop a movie from being made about themselves. And there's celebrity cameos, and, oh, you know, I don't get Eliza Dushku in a cheerleading outfit, but I do get her in a skin-tight leather uh, cat suit. And, uh, and, that, and that's okay with your wife? That's I don't think she's seen Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, so... Shh. I won't tell anyone. <laughs> uh, we won't tell on you. And, and, you get, and you get Mark Hamill, who shows up... Oh, I'm, I'm going to break my rule here. Shows up as a superhero named... Or a supervillain named Cockknocker. <laughs> like, that's just funny. And they have, a, they have a, a, a lightsaber fight, but they're bong sabers. It's just, it's just so dumb. And there's and a, so much to love in that movie and so many celebrity cameos. And, and a great Star Wars moment when Mark Hamill breaks the fourth wall. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Mark Hamill reappearing in that movie was just like... It was great because I hadn't actually seen Mark Hamill in anything in a long time. I'd heard him because he'd been doing voice work in, uh, as Joker in Batman the Animated Series and a bunch of other places, Wing Commander... But he never shown up like on screen in a long time. Yeah, it's so, been a while. So my my childhood hero, Luke Skywalker, is great to see him. Uh, reminder: Go see Kingsman. It's out on DVD now, so you can go get that and see Mark Hamill. Yes. Um, so to wrap things up, you know, my guilty pleasure. I was thinking for a while, and I had a couple movies picked out, and then I kept on going back to, especially today at work, I was kept on going back to uh, Orgasmo which I, I hope most people have heard of. I have a feeling most people haven't. Uh, it's the second movie by Trey Parker and Matt Stone, who, of course, you know, uh, did uh, South Park. And uh, it's the story of this Mormon missionary played by Trey Parker in L.A., wrapping up the last two weeks of his mission and knocks on the door of this big mansion and come to find out there's a porno shoot going on there, uh, an action-adventure porno with the main star, Nate Orgasmo. 
worst comes to worst, and basically we end up with this naive young Mormon missionary who is now the star of this this movie, and they're going to call in a stunt person when they have to do actual like sexual scenes. Uh, and it's and wackiness ensues, and it's crazy, it's stupid, it's funny. Uh, but I can watch it every single day, and no matter when it's on or if I, whatever part I catch, I'll always laugh as hard this time, the thousandth time, that I did the very, very first time. Uh, it's also one of the... Actually, I think it's the only NC-17 movie I own. And what's really funny about that is it got that rating because there's very little nudity. I, you think you see breasts for literally a tenth of a second until... The guy's butt moves in the way. That's kind of the running gag throughout the whole sh- the whole movie. Yeah. Uh, just from the the jokes and the language, it, it got that rating. Uh, but in true Trey Parker Matt's own kind of formula, they're poking mild fun at the LDS religion. They're they're not you know saying they're they're not really making hardcore fun of them. It just you know when the main character's talking to his girlfriend, they say goodbye on the phone. It's like you know Jesus, Jesus and I love, and I love you. Yes. You see them together on a date, and they're drinking milk out of champagne glasses. Uh, it's it's very gentle poking fun, but it's it's a silly movie. It just came out on Blu-ray. Uh, it's hard to get, though, because everyone's sold out. So if you get a chance to check it out, it's stupid. It's funny. Don't let your parents or kids watch, uh, but everyone I've shown it to has had a blast. So it's, it's, it's definitely my guilty pleasure recommendation for today. Uh, Adam, I don't want to sound like a queer or nothing, but... I really think Orgasmo kicks ass. <laughs> I don't like a queer or nothing, but I think unicorns kick ass. <laughs> um, and, and as a side note for anyone who follows Trey Parker and Matt Stone, there's a scene in the movie, uh, uh, in the porno, they don't show, I kind of show it off camera, called a DVDA scene. Uh, do not Google that. You'll be very sad you did. Uh, but they're... Trey Parker does a lot of his own music and songs, and his band with Matt Someone Stone. just told me what that was. I had no idea. <laughs> it's, uh, their band's known as DVDA, and unfortunately they were supposed to put out an album. It never happened of all their songs from South Park and Orgasmo and Cannibal the Musical, which is another great guilty pleasure. Uh, but it's pick it up. It's a lot of fun, and you won't regret it. That theme song uh, from Orgasmo by DVDA is... Awesome. I'm going to stick it at the end of the podcast because I love it so much. Oh, it, it's hilarious. They and they also do uh oh, they do a song with Robert Smith from The Cure called Sign from God. That's yes. A song too. And oh. and the name of their group together is is inappropriate for children. So we won't repeat it here. Uh but if you just uh actually Eddie at FYE just got a used copy of the soundtrack in. So that was kind of funny that last night he'd he would tell me that. So but that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Board as Hell podcast. Uh, next week, the big movies, we're looking at Selfless, which is the Ben Kingsley is getting old and rich and puts his mind into Ryan Reynolds. Uh, okay. Uh, and also Minions, which is the prequel to the Despicable Me movies, where we learn where the Minions finally come from. Uh, so those are the big ones. Hopefully you can check out some of the indies. There's a really cool-looking horror movie called The Gallows, but um, if we can get to it, we will definitely let you know. Oh, and there's also an Amy Winehouse documentary opening yes. called Amy. And, um, yeah, I'll get to see that. I have tickets still if you're in the Austin area uh, for a free screening on Wednesday evening. So go to Big Shiny Robot and find those and download them. Excellent. Well, hey, Brooke, again, thank you very, very much for being on the show with us. It was an honor having you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been great. And, uh Anytime. Yeah, and remind us again, where can we find uh, your podcast? Two feministmoms.com, T-O-W, feministmoms.com, and 
iTunes, Stitcher, and Facebook. All right, awesome. T W O. T. Did I say T O W? Yes. <laughs> I keep doing that. I swear to God, I know how to spell too. You're Two a little. Moms.com. Yeah. A little Toe, dyslexic. Toe feminist mom. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, everyone have an excellent weekend, and we will talk to you later. Andy, take Great. us out. If my calculations are correct, when this podcast hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. Hail Satan, and have a lovely afternoon. What makes a man? Is it the power in his hands? Is it his quest for glory? Give it all you got to to fight to the top so we can know your story now you're a man a man, man, man now you're a man a man, man, man a man, man, man you are now a man you're a man now you're a man so the idea of Pops or Arnold can you guys hear that? That was yeah. Brooke, you were breaking up really bad. We lost Brooke. Yeah, we lost Brooke. Okay, she'll be back. She yeah, we're gonna come back. She'll be back. <laughs> what makes a man? Is it the woman in his arms? Just 'cause she has big titties, or is it the way he fights every day? No, it's probably the titties.